I'm a lifelong follower of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I am devoted at all times and at all occasions. It's part of my fallen nature. Uh, I choose to believe that we are uh, World Series champion year after year after year. Uh, just as I cho- choose to believe that we would have won it last year, I still choose to believe that we will win it this year. Uh, and as a 50-year-old, I had a chance at my 50th birthday to become a free agent and choose a new team. But instead, I decided, no, it's been 50 years of misery. I'm going to spend the next 50 years doing the exact same thing. I choose to believe Pete Rose is an honest man. I choose to believe Eric Davis is the greatest player ever. The problem, though, with my beliefs is obvious that they are all wrong. (laughs) Uh, We haven't won the World Series in 30 years, and it's unlikely that we will win the World Series in the next 30 years. Ruth Binkowski, I know that breaks your heart as it does mine. Uh, But the reality is, I don't care. I still choose to believe There is a word for people like me. There are probably many words for people like me, but delusioned would be one of those. Deceived would be one of those. I simply choose to believe things which are not true. And for the Cincinnati Reds, I think that's fine. But our passage this morning leads us to the reality of that we can be deceived. We can be delusional about things that actually affect our lives. And the problem is, for delusional people, we find ourselves always being some combination of either disappointed or discouraged. And what we see from our scripture this morning is that God does not want that to be true of us as his followers in Christ. So it raises a question for us, what do you believe will produce the kind of life that you most want to have? How will you achieve a meaningful, joyful, purposeful, engaging, relational life that your soul desperately longs to have? Could you be deceived? Could you be delusional this morning, hoping and planning that one thing is true when in fact it's not true at all? So as we come to our passage this morning, we will see that the Lord in fact does not want us to be deceived. So we're moving to the conclusion here of Galatians, and and we continue with very, very direct applications. And these applications should be thought of as simply an overflow of God's Spirit. That is, as God's Spirit is at work inside of us, this is what the Spirit is leading us to do. Because Jesus lives inside of our physical bodies by His Spirit, thus He leads us in how we live and changes the desires of our heart and thus the direction and form of our lives. When our motives change from natural desires of this world and they are replaced by the desires of our Heavenly Father, our lives are going to look different, they're going to feel different, they are going to be different. Of course, this is the work of God's sanctification in our life and it's proof that God is committed to us and that he loves us. So what is changing in our lives according to this passage, according to the word that we are reading today? What's happening is that we are not to be deceived, but rather what's changing is our belief that we can find true, meaningful life in our own effort, rather than in the way in which the Lord has prescribed it to us. That is apart from God's design for us, which is to live in step with his spirit. Do you believe that? 
Last week we saw that God's Spirit leads us with the fruit of the Spirit as it flows from us. That Jesus will always be taking us in the direction of serving Him. And when we are serving Him, we are loving and caring for other people. It's manifest in our lives with service to others. So please see this fact. When your life is an act of giving your life away to others, not to impress them or for religious gain, but simply as an overflow of God's Spirit, then your life is at step with His Spirit. And you're engaged in the life that God has for you. And what we're going to see this morning, this life is a generous life. A generous life is a blessed life. And yet our tendency is to fight against this constantly and try to create our own form of life. And that is being delusional. So, two things this morning. A life free of delusion involves, first, the principle of generosity... And then secondly, the promise of generosity. That's the principle of a generous life. And secondly, the promise of a generous life. So my prayer for us this week has been that God would open our eyes afresh to see how we are to live inside of his, in his church with our expectations set accordingly. And I, I warn you, uh, this is a sermon filled with applications because the passage is filled with applications. So be warned. Uh, all right, first... Back at verses 6 through 8, the principle of a generous life. We see a connection here between how we live generously as Christians and our involvement inside of a local particular church. In order for us not to be deceived about our life and to ensure that we're not delusional with our expectations, Paul provides a very simple metaphor for us that we've all heard and it's very easy to understand. And it is the classic farming principle uh, that is sowing and reaping. It simply means this. Whatever you plant, that is what you will harvest. I plant tomatoes every year in my farm, in my backyard, I don't get great tomatoes, but I assure you I've never gotten blackberries. I plant tomatoes, therefore we get, I'm sorry, I plant tomatoes, therefore we get tomatoes. Uh, This principle is a fact, and it helps us to not live delusional lives. What should you expect to be true in your life? What you should expect is that which you sow, you are going to reap. What you're planting into your life, you will see the fruition throughout your life. Now, let's apply the principle. Verse 6, and then echoed again in verse 10, reveals that our generosity as followers of Jesus Christ includes the high calling of giving to the work of a local church, to your local church. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Thus the principle of sowing shows that God is leading our lives in the direction of supporting in all ways, including financially, the work of the ministry of teaching God's word. That is, as you receive teaching, you share with the teachers. And yes, I do recognize it's a little bit awkward for me to be the one teaching right now, but it is what the word says. The teacher of the word is the one assigned to prayerfully spend time with the Lord to communicate the truth of a life in step with God's spirit. 
In turn, someone who aims to have their life conform to the operation of the Spirit will gladly give of resources to ensure that that teaching continues. Scripture says teachers of the word will will be judged more harshly than others. Therefore, not many should do it. Thus, it's a unique calling. It's a particular calling. And only those who are called to teach should be teaching the word. So let me say this as plainly as I possibly can. Local churches are the primary place God's word is taught. Therefore, it's the primary place where spiritual transformation takes place. It's where all the means of grace are found inside of a local church. It's where teaching leads us to the mysteries of Christ, including all the ministries inside of a local church. So thus, follow the logic of the principle for an abundant life as a follower of Christ. Give generously to the overall work of your local church. And I was thinking about this week as I was praying and uh, studying for this sermon and reading this passage, because it is a unique passage, and I thought, just as a snapshot of the past few days of my life, of what I get to see and be part of and do, and I was really encouraged with TCPC and what, what our church is about. You know, last Wednesday at our final family fun night, uh, Will Witherington, in his unique and incredible ways, shared the story of Noah and the Ark to our children on family fun night. The story included Christ being the ark and protecting us from God's wrath. It was beautiful. All the while, kids and parents acted out walking like animals. Also, last Wednesday night, Mac took our youth through more of Romans chapter 8. Verse by verse, theme by theme, this incredible promise of what is true of us in Christ because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I talked to Andy Harden last week, and he had been in Pensacola as we prayed for our campus outreach students. He taught earlier last week on our identity in Christ to college students. Julia Metter and I met this past week to talk about the women's Bible study that's upcoming this fall and to think through different ideas. Time after time after time, what our church is about is about teaching, proclaiming the mysteries of Christ found in his word. That's just a snapshot of this past week. Here's the principle. The Holy Spirit leads us to see that our lives are found here inside of his church, hearing more and more and more of the mysteries of Christ. We live in step with him as we are participating in this work. On the side of the building, I'm not sure what year this was put, over by Trinity's entrance, it's engraved in stone for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what our church is about. We are not a social club, though we may have fun together. We are about God's word transforming us. That's what our church is about. That's what churches are about. So as you sow generously to the overall work of the church, you are living in step with the will of Christ. A principle of generosity reveals with our time, with our money, with our energy, with our fellowship, with our gifting, with our prayer, we are to share all good things. This is what we do. We share. So that's the principle. Be generous with your life. Be generous with your life. Now, 
Before we move on to the promise, there is another part here of this principle, and that includes a warning. And I cannot skip over this and be faithful to the text. There's a warning, and it is scary. (laughs) But to ensure that you are not deceived, and again, that is our purpose, please see that sowing to the Spirit does in fact lead to true life, yet Paul includes more than that. Look back at verse 8. And be terrified. The one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Again, this is scary. And I hope that the Lord will use it to scare us all. Corruption here, this word means in the original language the idea of food that has gone bad. You've all seen that, you've all smelled that. Let that picture fuel your imagination. It's disgusting, it's worthless. And the picture here is when you sow to the flesh, that is the aim and the direction of your life. So obviously we should be asking the simple question. Well, I don't want that. How might I sow to the flesh? And again, the overall point of this passage is do not be deceived. No, don't be deceived because in chapter 5, Paul has already told us exactly what that is. If you have your Bibles, you can look. Chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we know exactly the desires of the flesh. The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensualities, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and quote, and things like them. So church, if you're generous with the things of the flesh, then please understand that is the destination of your life. If you invest, if you sow, if you give, if you give of yourself to pornography, to unconfessed anger, to needless competition, to getting drunk, and that is your life, then you will in fact be headed in the direction of corruption. That is the principle. So do not be deceived. The direction of unhealth awaits you. The direction away from God's giving, loving, merciful life is the opposite direction. This is the story of the prodigal son. But again, the point of the passage, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. The principle works. So therefore, this morning, if that is you, move away from a life of corruption and move toward Christ. Why move toward a life of decay when God has his good design before you? You know, I was thinking about it this way uh, this week. You know, if you're young, if you think you're young, whatever young is, you've been taught to invest your money at an early age so that compound interest will multiply it. It's a beautiful thing, right? I wish I'd known. But I beg you to see the same spiritual principle applies. Sowing to the Spirit will reap a spiritual harvest. Sowing to the flesh will reap corruption. So I beg you, sow to the Spirit at an early age. Read your Bibles. Spend time in community. Confess your sin. Have a mentor. Read good books. Build your life inside of his church. 
follow Christ. Today is a great day to start. If you need help, I promise you've got it. That's the principle. Sowing and reaping. It works. God will not be mocked. So now, let's look at the promise. That's the principle, but now let's see the promise of a generous life. Back at verses 9 and 10. Just remember the overall theme of Galatians is that we are free now, free to follow Christ. And since we're free from the bondage of our old way of life, we're now set free to pursue the life that God has for us for all of our life. This fact begs the obvious question. What does a life of sowing to the Spirit look like? More particularly, why is Paul giving a motivational speech here at the end of his letter? What's going on that would cause him to realize people are turning away? And it's pretty clear that his message is that God's plan for us is to be actively engaged with the Lord for our entire life, yet there's a tendency to quit along the way. So therefore, he must hold out this promise before us all so that we will understand that which we are pursuing the direction of our lives. Do you see what it is? Because if you miss this, you may think this is a nice sermon, but it won't affect you. Notice that the life that God has for a spirit-led people is a life of continual service toward the lives of other people. This is his work in your life. This is his fruit. This is his good plan. The eternal life that he mentions here is not just what happens after you die, but it is the abundant life that God has for us today. It's living in step with him. Jesus being alive inside of you is always taking you to invest into the goodness of other people. There's no trick here. Verse 10 is very clear. As you have opportunity, that is, in your daily life, you give your life away for the betterment of whomever the Lord has put into your life. And when you do that, you are engaged in the supernatural life of following Christ. And the promise is this. You will reap a harvest. When you sow, you will reap. The harvest is, in God's economy, people's lives will be influenced by Christ. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. As you spend your life being poured out in various ways into the lives of others, especially inside the church, God will bless your life in his unique ways. This is not a formula. It's not a trick. No, this is Jesus alive inside of you. You're not doing these things to impress other people. You're not doing these things for some religious gain. No, you're serving because Jesus serves and Jesus is alive inside of you. That's what's going on. He is in you. There will be fruit. And that fruit is other people's lives will benefit spiritually and know Christ more because of your involvement. Now, here's the question. Let me be as blunt as I could possibly be and simply ask this. Is that the life you want? Is that what you care about? Is that what your expectations of being a church member are about? 
Do you really believe that to seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness above all other things, do you really believe that is the pathway to true life? Because according to the word, it is. But if you're looking for something different than that here at church, you will be delusional. I think Paul is pleading with the readers of this letter to see that true followers of Christ have tasted the goodness of God in such a way that they want more and more and more of his kingdom. Because inside of his kingdom, we find real, true, satisfying, purpose-filled life. The life our soul longs for. The abundant life that is ours in Christ. But it must be his spirit leading us because we would never, ever make this up. You know, a few moments after communion, we're going to sing this, this great, take my life and let it be, Lord, consecrated only to thee. You know, you think about those words. Who would want that life? Because the reality is it will cost you. That life is not glamorous. It will take up your time. It will take up money. It will consume energy. There are more leisurely ways to spend your life. But we want that because that's what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is alive inside of us. And we want more of him and his love for us. Again, I mentioned this past week was our final family fun night. And we've had lots of volunteers throughout the summer. But I I noticed some families this past week, and it just struck me. I was thinking about this sermon as we were all part of that time. And there were a couple of different families who had raised their children inside of this church. And they were there serving, carrying water balloons, handing out food, whatever the case may be, because their grandchildren are now here. And it struck me. I'm sure their lives are not perfect. I'm sure they got plenty of problems. But yet life is found in a full lifetime of serving to the Lord. You know, I have to wonder this morning, if you aren't hearing this and you're thinking something along the lines of, you know, maybe I'm getting tired of serving too. I've been doing this forever and you know what? I thought my life would be free of problems if I just kept serving the Lord. Understand that was never the promise. No, the Lord is at work inside of your life for all of your life. I wonder if your expectations match those of what the Lord is doing. Maybe you've been faithfully keeping the nursery, tithing, chaperoning youth trips, stacking chairs in the fellowship hall, doing evangelism, teaching kids, whatever the case may be. And maybe you were thinking, if I just did all those things, I'd have the perfect family now. I'd have the perfect life now. I'd have the perfect retirement, whatever the case may be. If that's you, please see this morning, your service to the Lord was always to have been about sowing to the work of the Spirit. It was about being engaged with Him, about enjoying Him, about following Him, about falling more in love with Him, about seeing His grace and kindness in your life. So be encouraged. As Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, your work has not been done in vain. Your work has not been wasted. No, there will be a harvest. And the harvest will be rich. It'll be beautiful. But it'll be in his way and in his time. You see, the Lord is still at work in and through you. He's still molding you. He's still forming you. 
And he has not and he will not forget you. Paul says as a promise, you will reap. A future is coming that is glorious. Your reward will be great because Jesus has purchased it for you. And he will not be mocked. He has not forgotten you. So friends, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Your work of faith, of holding babies in the nursery and supporting missionaries and taking meals. The Lord hadn't forgotten you. My hope in the Cincinnati Reds is fantasy. (laughs) It's it, that's it. It's not happening. Our hope of the glory of our salvation is not fantasy. It's based on fact. Jesus walked out of the grave. He ascended to be with his father. He is praying for us now. He will return for us. Our hope is real. So friends, keep going. Keep going. You can expect his promises will be fulfilled because he is real. And his promise to you today is this. We are his and he is ours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Ask that the Lord would prepare our hearts to come and feast with him around this glorious table. Oh, Father. Sometimes it's hard for us to continue to be faithful. So would you remind us this morning, you've been faithful to us. Generation after generation, life after life, decade after decade, your faithfulness has continued. Remind us this morning of what is true. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us that you love us. Oh, Father, we thank you that your principle of sowing and reaping is, in fact, a reality And that your promise is that you will give a harvest is true. Lord, we are your harvest. Thank you for your love for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.